Thanks for coming. Uh, my wife said uh, earlier in the announcements that, um, I think she said that we, we uh, served over uh, 220 families uh, this year through the THX event. Um, that represents, I believe it's around 1,200 people um, that got a meal. Um, and so uh, that was really awesome. Um, we haven't tallied up everything, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we've raised over $16,000 uh, for this event. That's the most we've ever raised. Yeah, yeah, $16,000. Let, let me tell you, um, there was about $4,000 that came from uh, what I know of uh, that came from outside businesses. I'm sure there was more than that, actually, uh, just from uh, people at large that, that gave. Um, but... Uh, that, we, that was the, the most amount of money that we've raised as a church uh, for this event, and you guys responded, and I want to say, uh, give you a huge thank you uh, for responding in that way. Uh, that was so awesome, and uh, so thank you so much. Um, I don't know if you saw, but we got, there was a um, front page um, a story about Outward Church and, and this event, and then an entire page uh, devoted to this, so we're so thankful to uh, the Statesman Journal for representing us well and doing an excellent job on that. Um, I was also interviewed by uh, Coin uh, up in Portland, and then I don't think it ever made it on the air, and so that might be a good thing, but um, <laughs> so I'd never been in front of a camera like that before, and so uh, whatever, but um, in any case, we're <laughs> excited about that, but I will say this, that um, uh, so the school district has a third party that runs their kitchen, and that is called Sedexo. It's a company that runs the, the kitchens, all the kitchens at the schools, and then the, the central kitchen. And, um, and so um, I, we were kind of told to not bring attention to this, and so we didn't. And then, um, and then they decided to say it in the newspaper, and so it's public knowledge at this point. And so uh, basically Salem-Kaiser... Um, uh, I guess gave permission to Sedexo for us to use that kitchen. And Sedexo, um, we believe, I, I don't know how all of this is sifted out yet, but Sedexo, we walked into Sedexo. Um, Brandon Haverland, who led THX, who did a fantastic job this year, walked into Sedexo. They told us to come talk to them before we started the event this year. And we did. And they said, oh, you're without church. Come this way. You know, and let them into the office of the head person. And so he was talking about, you know, which kitchens we might want to use and how many different places we're going to have to cook. And she said, oh, no, oh, no, uh, we're going to cook it all here and we're going to buy all the, uh, all the food. I mean, we had to pay them, but they were going to purchase all the food, which, by the way, is a massive ordeal. Uh, when you talk about getting all of this stuff together, it is a massive ordeal with volunteers. And so they professionally did all this. They, they brought in all of their cooks. Um, I, I think they paid them overtime for holiday pay and things like that. And so it, it was just amazing because um, in uh, two days, the bulk of it was done. And then uh, there was a little bit left on the third day. And so uh, our, what we're excited about is the potential for next year. And I, I don't know where the Lord is leading us, but in addition to that, I, I got to have a long conversation with the person who's in charge of media for the Salem-Kaiser School District. She was incredibly uh, kind and, and gracious to us, and, and I talked to her about what would, it be, what would it be like for us to get into each elementary school in our city, make that our focus, and say, okay, there's, there's no kid that goes to Salem-Kaiser elementary schools who will go without Thanksgiving dinner this year. 
and or, or, or next year actually, and she said, wow, that's uh, okay. Well, yeah, I, I'm the person you'd talk to about that, and so we have gotten in good with the district, and so that is awesome, and, um, and so we're just so thankful for that. So um, thanks so much for your support. Um, let me also just level with you that every uh, uh, November this, this happens, and that is lots of people get excited about giving to THX, and they, they're not excited about giving to the general fund, and that's totally understandable because we're feeding people, not just you know, keeping an organization running. But uh, let, me just, let me just say this, that uh, we, need you to, we need you to give. Let me boldly tell you that this is not about just the sustenance for an organization to keep the lights on or whatever, but we have a big vision to reach our city. And uh, we, our employees work in the community. Some of our employees work in the community and are putting these events together, like Brandon Haverlin, who works uh, half-time because we can't afford to pay him full-time, even though he was working full-time, but we pay him half-time. And so it's a real great benefit if you come to work at Outward Church someday. So um, your rewards will be in heaven. But... um, so in, in any case, so the reason why we do that is because we can, we can hire part-time employees uh, a lot easier than we can full-time employees, and it keeps our costs down and things like that. But we can't do that forever. And in addition to that, uh, you know, November is, is incredibly tight. So let me, just, let me just tell you, we need to raise $6,000 before the end of the month. And I don't know how else to tell you that, but just to say that, that somehow that, that needs to happen. And, uh, and so that would be super helpful. So here's what I'd say. If you're somebody who gives regularly at Outward Church and you, you tithe, meaning you give 10% of your income, that is awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. Continue to do that. Uh, we're not trying to squeeze blood out of a turnip, as they say. We're not trying to keep giving, keep giving. Oh, my gosh. You know, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is this, is that we know that there are many people here that are kind of one foot in, one foot out, not sure uh, where, whether they're here long term or, or not. That's totally fine. We know that there's people that have just come to the church for the first time, and they don't really have any involvement here. You should just come. You should not give. We're just glad that you're here. For those of you that have been here, you've been here for a while and things like that, you're receiving something here. You're receiving the community of faith. You're receiving the teaching of the word. You're a part of a community group and things like that. We're asking you to give financially and to give substantially to that, which which means uh, the Old Testament standard of of giving 10% and giving that uh, on a regular basis. And so if if you're not doing that, please don't feel any condemnation. I know that there's so many of us. I was in that position for years prior to planting a church, and, and I know what it's like to be like, man, can I trust God with this? So don't feel condemnation at all. Feel encouragement that this is a huge step of faith for you to take a step in that direction. And then to just make up your mind, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, do this and do this first thing as you get a check. That would be a huge help to our church and would enable us to continue on with this vision um, throughout the city and to serve people. Um, honestly, that's what we're about. We, we, called our, we called ourselves outward for a reason because we, we really are about the love of Jesus Christ and we believe that when we love Jesus uh, the best that that comes out in the way that we serve our city. So we want at the end of the day uh, for if outward church were to go away, if Outward Church were to disappear, if Outward Church were to somehow be wiped off the face of the map, that we want our city to say, man, Outward Church is missed because of the service 
and the finances and the people that they brought into our city, into our schools, into our homes. We want people to be able to say that because we believe that that's what the kingdom of God truly is, revealing that, showing that this is what it is like to live for this king, for this God. And so you can help by being a part of that. So uh, my, my prayer is no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, uh, but this is only encouragement. And uh, just know I, God has never let us down. He has always provided, and so we're confident of that. So thank you. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6, and, and we've been talking through the book of Daniel uh, about all of these stories. A lot of these stories are, you know, stories for, if you grew up in the church, stories from your childhood. These are stories that uh, we don't often uh, come back to because everybody knows them so well that has been a part of the church. And, and so we, we believe that it's really good that we go through this because the, the book of Daniel has been really about how guys who are followers of Yahweh, uh, that is the God of the Bible, and, and who are living for him, how they're living in a secular culture. We've said repeatedly how many of us have believed that we're living in a Christian culture when in reality we're not actually living in a Christian culture. We're, we're living in like a pseudo-Christian uh, culture. And, and in large part, it is, it is not a Christian uh, nation. And so uh, the book of Daniel is showing us how to live in a secular society. And so we've talked over and over about what's been taking place. And we kind of came to the end of, of chapter 5 here where we had two examples uh, just prior to this of, of King Nebuchadnezzar kind of coming to a real realization that God is almighty, that he is sovereign, that he does whatever he wants. And ultimately, it seems like Nebuchadnezzar submits to God. But then we have an, an example of another king, Belshazzar, uh, who is the son or the grandson or somehow in the lineage of Nebuchadnezzar, and he does not submit to God, and he's basically killed, and a new kingdom takes over. And so it's the last verse of chapter 6, it says this, uh, chapter 5, I'm sorry, verse 30, says this, that very night Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. That's Chaldean is the Babylonian king, uh, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. And so here we, here we are. We have another turn, a new kingdom. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing that Daniel has come in uh, under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. He comes in as somebody who uh, is, he's a captive. He's basically kidnapped, taken to Babylon, and he's forced to join the workforce there in uh, government. And so he becomes uh, one of these people in government, and he has shown himself faithful over and over again throughout this whole reign. And then Nebuchadnezzar goes away, and then Belshazzar comes in, and then, uh, and then this new king, uh, Darius, comes in between, with the Medo-Persian Empire, and, and Daniel is still there. And so here we have Daniel, who's lasting through all of this, and it's later on in his life. It's later in life for him, and so he, people estimate that he may be around 70 to 80 years old. And so he's, 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 get, he's getting up there. He's getting up there, and he's been in this government for quite some time. And so you can imagine that. I mean, this, he's been serving God for so long, and yet it doesn't seem that there is any meaningful change that's happening in his life. And so let me just say this for those of you that perhaps are working in government or you're working in a secular environment, you're working in some place that just seems antithetical and against your faith, that you need to understand something, that there's this persistence that comes with 
following God. That's got to be there. And we get so impatient and we say, you know, no, but nothing's changing and nothing's changing and nothing's changing. And that, why does it matter how I live? Because it's not going to change anything anyway. But Daniel is a great example of why your persistence and the way that you live and the way that you submit to Jesus Christ in your life is actually important. It's actually important. Let me read the passage for you, and then we'll come back uh, to the beginning there. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, It pleased Darius, who's the king, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him, that is Daniel, over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. And he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. I'm sorry, not now, no. Wow, that was bad. Okay. Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might, uh, might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. 
No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak the king rose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in the tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. May God, uh, or my God, sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. It's a great children's story. Um, And before they reached the bottom... Of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones into pieces. Did not see that on the flannel graph when I was a kid. So, <laughs> Then Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. That was a lot, right? Okay. That's, that's, that's the story. So what do we see in this story? Where there's, there's a couple of things. Here we have Daniel. He's 80 years old. He's got to be thinking to himself, man, things have got to change. Things have got to turn around. I've been trying to change my workplace for so long, but the, you know, kingdoms come and go, and people just don't seem to listen to me, and they keep repeating the same, the, the same mistakes over and over and over again. But what you see from Daniel is that the way that he started is the way that he finishes, is the way that he comes to the end of his life. This is the last kind of real story. It goes into prophecy after this. But the way that he starts is the way that he finishes. If you remember from the beginning of the book, as we started the passage, as we started the the series, I should say, that Daniel was brought in and he was given all of this incredible food, all of, all of this meat and this wine and all of this stuff. But to Daniel, it would have been a violation of, of something between him and God. We don't know exactly what it is, but he would feel defiled if he took part in this, if he engaged in this. And so Daniel was one of these guys who said, listen, I'm not going to defile myself. In fact, he says in chapter 1, verse 8 of Daniel, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Here he is in this foreign country. There's every reason for him to say, you know what? I'm just going to go along with this. We're just going to be here for a little while. In fact, there were prophets, false prophets, who were saying during that time, hey, resist, just push back. Don't, don't listen to them. We're going to be out of here in, in a short time. But Daniel said, you know what? 
I am just going to go ahead and I am going to not defile myself with this king's food and I am going to live for Yahweh in the midst of this. A lot of other people would have said, you know what, I'm just going to go along with it. I'm just going to go along with it. I'm just going to go along with it. Everybody is engaged with this. Why wouldn't I? Everyone's engaged with this. Why wouldn't I? How hard is it for us to actually stand up and say, you know what, this is what I believe. In, in a world right now where people are being persecuted in their jobs at times, not because of something that they did, but because of something that they believe. Not because of something that they did, but because of the fact that they have, uh, that they have gone to this, this church, or at one point they have said that they do not believe that gay marriage is right, or because they believe that abortion is wrong or because whatever. Here's Daniel, and he stands up. He's resolved to live for God over his career, and he exemplifies that yet again. If you go a little bit further on in his life, he speaks the truth when it's uncomfortable to do so. He says in, 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 in chapter 5, verse 22, he says, And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. So throughout, the, throughout his life, he has had opportunity after opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, not tell the whole truth to the king that he's speaking to, to Nebuchadnezzar. He has the opportunity to not say the entire truth and maybe to kind of keep himself out of trouble because Nebuchadnezzar is this murderous king who could just turn around and have him executed like that. But Daniel tells him the truth. And then Belshazzar, the son, comes in, and he is defaming God. He's using the temple vessels uh, from uh, Judah, and he is having this huge party with them. And Daniel speaks the truth to him. Daniel, over and over, speaks the truth when it's uncomfortable to do so. And he's continually doing that. And then thirdly, he's known for his connection with God for understanding, for wisdom and knowledge. In chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, it says, it says the, the queen comes in to the king and says, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And so Daniel is known for having understanding, for having wisdom, for, for speaking the truth. And he's known for this throughout the kingdom. And people know about what he's been doing. So there is this character that he has been upholding throughout his life because he is a follower of Yahweh. And yet he is, has spent his entire career in a secular society. And he has not given in to the pressure to just say what they want to hear, to just do whatever they, whatever they want. What you should think about also is this, is that Daniel oftentimes is in charge of people who are uh, less than uh, good people. He's in charge of the magicians and these people that are spiritual people. And somehow he has good rapport with these people. He's a man of God. He's a man of wisdom. He's a man of understanding. And yet in the middle of this society, he's known for being somebody who still speaks the truth. He does this... Uh, repeatedly throughout these stories. And so it says in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, 
It says that there were 120 satraps, these people who are overseeing all of these people, and they're there to make sure that taxes are paid and that things are coming along just fine in this massive kingdom. This is a world kingdom that we're talking about here. These satraps are put over them throughout the whole kingdom. And then there's three officials and out throughout this entire kingdom uh, that are to oversee these 120 satraps or satraps, however you say it. And Daniel is one of these guys. So here is a guy who's gone from captivity. He's an immigrant. He's somebody who comes in. He's somebody who is a follower of Yahweh. And somehow he has reached the top of the heap as high as you can get before you actually become king, it seems. And he's one of these guys. And so he becomes distinguished, it says in verse 3, above all the other high officials. And again, it says an excellent spirit was in him. This is a guy, whether it's talking about the spirit of God or whether it's his personality and the way that he gets, he gets along with people, it, it, it doesn't really matter. I think what it says about Daniel is this, is that Daniel does not come across as somebody who is a caricature of one of our, you know, our news stories that we see all the time, the way that Christians are oftentimes portrayed, and oftentimes we rightly uh, deserve the criticism that we get, but Daniel is not somebody who's in this job, who's constantly trying to thwart things, but he's somebody who is looked up to. He's somebody who's looked up to. I'm super excited because um, a, a while ago, we had, we had, or not a while ago, this is not too long ago, we had somebody come to our church who wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ. They had never given their life uh, to Jesus. Her name's Krista Henderson. She put this on a blog, so it's public knowledge. I'm pretty sure I can say this, but uh, Krista came, and she came to our church as somebody who didn't know Jesus, and in fact, she was all about kind of uh, liberal policies, and she really loved the fact, uh, she likes the idea of abortion, likes the idea of, uh, of gay marriage, and, and supported all of those things, and yet she came to our church, and you should hear what she had to say about our church. She recently moved to Tennessee and was just talking about that transition, and she said she came into church at Outward Church one day, and she says this, something inside of me was filled with joy that day. The people welcomed me as if they had always known me. As I grew to know people deeper, they never showed me anything but love. I was quick to say things like, I'm pro-choice. I'm, I'm a liberal Democrat. I believe in gay marriage. Each time I received an opposite reaction than I had anticipated. No hate, no rudeness, no shame, just acceptance of where I was at and kindness. Ah, way to go, guys. Bam. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. This is the life of Daniel being portrayed in our church. That we have people that come in, and there are policies that we disagree with, but we love the people that hold those policies. We love the people that disagree with us. In fact, she goes on to say, I had no idea that there was such a thing as uh, someone who was a Democrat and a Christian at the same time. And she said, and I met some. I mean, woo. I mean, that's pretty cool that at our church we see people who have come to faith here and have said, you know what, I was accepted with kindness. 
Daniel shows this in his life. He shows people kindness. He has an excellent spirit in him. The way that he gets along with people is awesome. He's not looking down his nose at, oh, look at all you sinners. Look at what you're doing. Look at the policies you support. No, he, there are times when he stands up and he says, I cannot support this. This, is, this goes against who I am and the God that I follow. But there are a lot of times that he um, is acting with quiet non-participation. And that's what we see from the life of Daniel. And it says, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Here's Daniel, and he is looking after what the king has. He's looking after his stuff. In fact, he's so trusted, and he has such incredible character that he is put over all of these people who are looking over the, uh, the whole kingdom. And so he has character, and he's looking after the kingdom. Now, if it, if it was me, I would probably be taking on some type of James Bond role. I would find every way to, like, I don't know, put, you know do something to screw up, this, uh, screw up this massive kingdom. Here's Daniel, and he is seeking to help this kingdom. He's seeking to help them and to see them flourish. In fact, he's living out what it says in Jeremiah uh, chapter 29, verse 7. Jeremiah prophesied to the exiles, to the people who were taken captive, of which Daniel was one. And, Dan, and Jer, Jeremiah says this, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. See, Daniel hears the word of God. He hears the word of God, and he decides that he is going to follow this God. He's going to listen to the real word of God, which comes from Jeremiah. He's not going to listen to the false prophets that say, uh, do whatever you can to get out of there. Just, we're, we're going to be out of here soon. No, he follows Jeremiah's words, and he seeks the welfare of that city, and he gains the respect of people who are not believers in this Yahweh. He gains their respect. And so what happens is this, is that these high officials that are in, that are in, that are in this with them, th these other presidents, it says, uh, seek to find a complaint against them. They hear that Daniel's about to get a promotion. Daniel's about to get uh, stepped up above us. And so somehow we've got to take this guy out. This guy's not even from here. He's, he's an immigrant from some other place. And so how do we knock him out at the knees? How do we do this? Now make no mistake that this stuff happens in our workplaces sometimes. That things about us, the things that we believe, can be exposed. And people can begin to shout about these things. And, they, and they, they can be, it can be out of jealousy. It can be out of just sheer hate. But what takes place is this, is that these high officials are looking for a way to take him out at the knees. But it says this in verse 4, they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. Now, it doesn't mean that Daniel was perfect. It doesn't mean that he had, <clears throat> he had nothing wrong with him. What it meant is that he had character. He had character. And the way that he conducted himself was above reproach. There's so many people in the media today that are, uh, are not, not just in the media, but in, in you know, Hollywood and politics and all of this stuff that are thinking about the way that they've lived their life. Men that are thinking about how have I lived my life? Have I been somebody who's lived above reproach? And let me just tell you what's absolutely horrific is when somebody who touts the name of Jesus Christ 
who is proclaiming who he is with their life is also sexually harassing or uh, living with a lack of character. I'm not talking about any one person. I'm just saying if that were to happen, if that's the case, that's, that's horrific. What, what a, a defamation of the church in our city and in our world. Like, we have to be people who are living with character. And when we aren't living with character, we've got to come forward with that. We've, we need to ask for forgiveness because there are definitely times when all of us screw up. There, no, no one in here is above sin on every level. But we must repent, and we, we need to make that clear. Being repentant is humility being displayed to the people around us. And so they couldn't find any fault or, or, or ground for complaint against Daniel because he was faithful. He was a faithful guy. He was constantly faithful. He was faithful to the people. He was faithful to the king. He was faithful to his job. He was faithful to his God. And what came out was this guy who was a man of character. And so these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Like, how incredible would it, would it be to say, like, <clears throat> okay, the only way that we're going to be able to bring this guy down is if we find a way that people will uh, push back on him because of the way that he serves his God. The only way that this is going to take place is if we find it in connection with his God. Wouldn't it be incredible for that to be the only thing that people have against you and me is the way that we serve our God? What, what an incredible thing. What an incredible thing. And so what takes place is this, is that the law is made. And they make this law that, that makes it so that it cannot even be changed according, according to the Medes and the Persians. It's unchangeable. Once the king makes the law, he can't change it back. It is unavoidable. There's historical uh, precedent for this that, that we see from this, this period. What does Daniel do? Daniel prays anyway. Daniel prays anyway. And so it says here in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber uh, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knee, knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. See, what's true about Daniel is this, is that Daniel is a guy who is not just praying because something bad happened, Daniel's a guy who is always praying. Like when things are going bad, Daniel's praying. When things are going good, Daniel's praying. If someone's after him, he's, he's praying. When Daniel has something that's going on, in fact, it says that he has this ritual of prayer like three times a day. Three times a day, he's opening up his windows, he's looking towards Jerusalem, and he is praying. He's kneeling down, he's praying, and he's talking to God. And a lot of people look at this and you might say, well, that's ritualistic and maybe we shouldn't uh, you know, be telling people that they should, uh, you know, pray three times a day. But the thing is this, is that Daniel was reminded three times a day of where his help came from. Daniel was reminded three times a day of where his finances came from. Daniel was reminded three times a day that he serves this God. In fact, I think Daniel was so aware of the position that he was in that Daniel said, like, I need to continually look to God 
over and over each day. Because here's the thing, those of us who have never, I've never been in, in, in any type of environment where, where anyone has said we should pray three times a day. That I've, I've never been in that type of uh, a legalistic type of environment. But here's the thing, is that Daniel is a guy who's walking with God through immense circumstances. His life has been threatened so many times, and here he is praying again, as he had done previously. I read a story recently about, uh, about another one of those stories where the coach had been praying with the, with the, the students, and perhaps the, I, I think it was the Freedom From Religion Foundation came in and said, a coach of a public school should not be leading students in prayer, and so, um, and so they pushed back on that. And so what ended up happening in this article, uh, if it's true, uh, they said that all the students in the stands began praying. That would be meaningful, and perhaps it still is meaningful on some level. But mostly I think it's just rebellion. Oh, you tell us we can't do that? Well, guess what? We're going to do it anyway. With Daniel, it was another thing. It's not like they had been gathering in the stands and, and, and praying every single day, but with Daniel, he had done this every single day. This is what his life was like. His life was a life of prayer. His life was con- continually poured out before God. And so I, I imagine he went into his room that day like, are oh, you going to make a law about that? Well, guess what? Boom, throw open the doors. I'm still praying. He's still doing this. He's still going. Think about the courage that it takes to do that. What could have happened in this situation? Daniel could have said, you know what? It's just 30 days. It's only 30 days that I, I would have to stop praying. I, in fact, I can just pray in my mind. I don't have to show everybody that I'm praying. I don't have to open up the windows. I could leave the windows closed. I mean, God knows that I'm pointed towards uh, Jerusalem or what I'm, you know, God knows that I'm praying to him. And there's nothing that's keeping me from praying to God. Daniel could have done that. He could have done those things. But Daniel decided, he resolved I'm going to continue to serve my God in the same way that I've always served my God, regardless of the consequences. Daniel continually served him. And what, what's going on in his life is this, is that his persistence in following God shows up in every area of his life. It shows up in, in every facet of who he is. And yet he continually, persistently uh, keeps coming after God, and what's not important to him are the accolades. He's just about to get a promotion. He's on the verge of getting a promotion. Do you know what you and I would be thinking? I'm just about to get that promotion. Don't rock the boat. Don't do anything. Don't talk about my stance on this or that or the other than this political issue, who I support politically. Don't, don't do those things. Don't, uh, don't, don't talk about how I'm going to church this week. Don't, don't, don't reveal my faith to other people. But Daniel says this. He's, he, he understands something. And that is that the persecution that he received during this time is not about screwing him up and not allowing him to get a promotion because Daniel has always been about, not this promotion, but Daniel has always been about the kingdom of God. Daniel has always been about what God is ultimately and finally doing in his kingdom. He's not looking to this great promotion. Man, I am going to be the head guy. I'm going to be over this entire place. He's thinking all of that can be set aside. I'm following God. I'm walking with him. Think about how much courage that takes in our world today. Admittedly, it's not as much courage as it takes to to stand up as a Christian in the face of ISIS across the world. 
But nevertheless, the fear is real of condemnation from our, from our society. The fear is very real. It says that Daniel is, is praying, and it says that he is, is thanking. It, says, it says here in verse 10, he got down on his knees three times a day he, and prayed and gave thanks before his God. There's a, a continual thankfulness. Imagine that three times a day saying, God, I thank you for the things that I have. I thank you that everything that I have in life comes from you. I thank you that uh, everything in my life is, is, is a result of your goodness and your grace and your mercy. And thanking him for the cross and thanking him that this is not all that there is. That I don't have to be all about my job and I don't have to be all, all about social justice. That ultimately God is in charge of these things and that God is the one who's going to bring change into our world. It's not going to happen because Outward Church uh, did this. It's going to be because God did this. And he's going to do whatever he wants in and through our church and in our city. It's praying continually that he is the one that's ultimately and finally in control. And so what happens is this, is that these exiles, they, or not these exiles, but these, these men, these other presidents, they go and they say, let's go find him, and they find him. They find him doing what they know that he's going to do. They know the character of Daniel. And so what happens is that he is taken, he's put in captivity, and ultimately he is fed to the lions. But it says that he has no fault. It says that he somehow God supernaturally keeps these lions from, from tearing him apart. But let me just tell you something that Daniel is one story, but there's a lot of other stories. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about this that there, here are these people of, of faith, and here's the people that he shut the mouths of lions, it says. And one part, and certainly that's talking about Daniel. But there's other people who were not so lucky. They were sawn in two. They were, everything was taken from them. This and that and the other thing. And let me be clear in this, in that God works supernaturally, especially in times where things are getting dark, that they are getting uh, rough, that it, it is really pushing back against God. God chooses to work supernaturally in those circumstances. But I just want to say that in a lot of circumstances, there are story after story after story of God not stepping in in, in that situation and feeling like, hey, God, where were you? How come you allowed this to take place? How come you allowed this to happen? What, why would you allow this... To uh, to take place in my life after I, I, I have done nothing wrong. I did just follow you and I still lost my job or I lost my life or I lost, lost my family or I, I lost my business because I stood for you and who you are. And just keep in mind that your faith in God and who you walk with does not necessarily protect you from bad things happening. It does not necessarily protect you from the difficulty in life. Because here's the thing. God works for his own glory. God works for his own glory. And what this means is that you may be in a situation where, where God chooses to receive glory from working supernaturally. 
And all of a sudden, the person that's been thwarting you in life or in, in, uh, in, in your state job or something like that is finally taken out and you're propelled and you're given this promotion. But you could more frequently be in a situation where you lose the job and you lose the promotion and you lose the pay raise and you lose the house and you lose and you lose and you lose. But let me just tell you that God can be glorified in either situation, and he oftentimes is. And the question is, is whether your persistence in following God is going to last even from in, in, in the great times as well as in the bad times. In the great times as well as in the bad times. Whether you're going to walk with him. See, here's the, here's the truth about, about Daniel. Is that Daniel, like, Daniel's praying towards Jerusalem. There's, there's not some edict that he should be praying towards Jerusalem. But what's he, what, he, what he has his eye on is, is the reality that ju- there's something that's going to happen in Jerusalem. Like Jerusalem is, is laid in ruins. That's where the temple was. There's, there's, there's nothing there. And yet, and, and yet he is looking towards Jerusalem. What, do you, what is he looking towards? What's he looking towards as he's, as he's praying? What's, what's keeping his hope there? Why does he continue to follow God in this way? Well, it has to do with this, is that Daniel knows that there's another kingdom that's coming. And Daniel knows the prophecies that are coming. And Daniel knows this. That under the reign of Cyrus, that something, is, something good is going to happen. Now, Darius and Cyrus may be the same person. They might be two different people. We don't know historically exactly how this works out. But it says, the last verse is this, in verse 28. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And if you know the story, uh, you, you might know this. It says in 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, Verses 22 and 23, it says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, in, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he, uh, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. And Cyrus said this, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Now, the significance of this is is astronomical. Because Daniel went on, and he went on, and he went on without any perceived success. And you can be in the midst of a job, or you can be in, in the midst of a family, you could be in the midst of a lot of different circumstances, and you may not feel like anything that you're doing is having any measurable difference. You may say, why, why should I care about these little circumstances? Why should I care about keeping my character in any and all circumstances? And it's because of this. Daniel has the opportunity to continue to walk with God and influence an entire kingdom until he finally gets to the point where he's able to influence Cyrus, the king of Persia. And what does Cyrus do? Cyrus makes an edict, a law, that says this, that 
this is the true and living God. Yahweh is the true and living God. And I want everybody to go who belongs to, uh, to Jerusalem to go back and to rebuild that city, which is ultimately where Jesus is born. And the kingdom of God will be ushered in through Jesus. And so why would we do that? Why would we do that? Because ultimately your life may lead to someone who hears the truth for the first time, like Cyrus. You may lose the job, but you got an opportunity to speak the truth about who Jesus is. You got, you got the opportunity to talk about the grace and mercy of God in the midst of, the, of these circumstances because you were not afraid of what was going to happen to you. You're not afraid of saying, yeah, you know, we do share Jesus with people. Yeah, we do. This is, we're feeding people, but we're also feeding them Jesus. And, and why would we do that? Because ultimately and finally, the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. The only way to get to God is through God's witness, through Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh as he comes. And Jesus Christ, as a real person, and yet God at the same time, comes into the world. And what, and what, does, what does he do? He, he not only lives perfectly without fault like Daniel, but he lives beyond that. He's going, he's healing the sick. He's speaking the truth to power. He lives absolutely perfectly. And yet at the end of, at the, at, at the end of, of his life, what happens? He is persecuted. He's brutally beaten. And he's killed on a cross. Why? Because he's absolutely perfect. He's persecuted. See, Jesus, even though he lives perfectly and he lives without fault, he's persecuted. He's killed. And so what does that mean? That you can be persecuted, that you could be killed and follow in the footsteps of Jesus in some ways. But what's Jesus showing us? Jesus is showing this is how you lay your life down. This is how I've laid my life down, and this is how I want you to lay your life down. This is how I want you to lay down all of the things that are holding you up right now. I want you to lay them down, and I want you to live completely for me, and I want you to sacrifice yourself for my kingdom, which is what Jesus has done for you and I. This is what Jesus has done for you and I. And as a result, what do we get out of it? What do we get out of it? Is it just the knowledge that, okay, okay, Jesus went to the cross for me? No, it's not just that Jesus went to the cross for me. It's that I am somebody who's in the position of and, and, and deserving of the wrath of God. I'm in the position of somebody who deserves to be, to be per persecuted, who deserves to be put to death because I'm not right with God in, in and of myself. I don't have what it takes I don't have what it takes to please him. And in fact, while Jesus is dying on the cross and he, and he looks ahead at Matt Porter, as he looks ahead at me, he sees all of my faults. He can look ahead at all of my faults and the thing that Jesus is doing while he's on the cross is that while I'm sinning against him, he's dying for me. While I'm sinning against him, he's giving his life for me. And so what's that mean in your work? It means that while somebody is sinning against you, you can die for them. 
It means while somebody is thwarting your religion and says you're a, you're a hateful bigot, you're somebody who uh, you don't belong in society, you should be cast out, you can reply with kindness and say, yeah, I don't believe that way, but I love you. I care about you. I want what's best for you. How can I help you? When you see what Jesus has done for you, when you see that you in no way deserved what you get from God, when you see that, when you see the reality that it's not that you grew up in a Christian home that makes you a Christian. In fact, that means nothing. It might push you further away from who God is. It's not that, that you're just a nice person and you're, and you're moral and you try to do good things. In fact, that might keep you further away from God than anything. Tim Keller says this, that the religious person believes that he's saved because he keeps all the rules. And the non-religious person says there are no rules. And see, the religious person is just as alienated from God as the irreligious person is. Because one says, they think, I'm, I'm righteous in and of myself. This person says, there is no such thing as righteousness. Both of them are alienated. Both of them don't have it figured out. And so the only way to God, the only way to get to him, the only way to have relationship with God is by saying, uh, not just with your head, but with your heart and understanding, like, I don't have a leg to stand on in order to stand before God. I look at my past history. I look at my thoughts. I look at the way that I've lived my life. And, and maybe I haven't been some murderer, but I've hated people. I've hated people. And Jesus says this, that if you've hated, it's the same as having killed that person. So I'm full of hatred at times. I've told this many times that as I drive around this city, I am a hateful person. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, turn already, right on red. <laughs> right on red. Don't you know? Every single one of us has this. And the way you know that you got the gospel, that you, that you have the gospel in such a way that you can live the way that Daniel lived is when you see how messed up you are and how incredible Jesus is. When you see how, how you do not deserve the mercy of God and yet God gives you incredible mercy. When you live in that level of gratitude, when thanksgiving comes, not being thankful for overeating, and living in our country, if you're even thankful for that. But thankful for the God of the universe who supplied the Son as the sacrifice, who went to the cross to die in my place. And more than that, did not just die in my place, but he was resurrected on the third day. And it is in and through that resurrection that I can also be resurrected with him and join him in his kingdom forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we want to ask that you, uh, that you would work in our lives here today. Lord, that you'd allow us to see the, uh, the, uh, the truth about who we are. And in so many ways, we don't, we don't live like Daniel. 
we live like we're, we're living for ourselves. And we think somehow that you, you're just there to help us live for ourselves more. But Lord, that would be to push us further away from needing you. And so Lord, I'm asking that you would, that you would change our hearts. Lord, that you'd rearrange our priorities. Lord, that you'd cause us to live for you in a way that we never have before out of gratitude for what you've done for us on the cross. But thanks for, thanks for what you're, you're doing in, in, in our church and in our city. Lord, we're seeing uh, people notice what you're doing in, in, in your church. And you're, you've brought this about. You're moving in, in our midst. And so we thank you so much for that. We ask that you would uh, that you'd cause us to be different people.